Hello, and welcome to the Mythgard Movie Club. Um, we're here today talking about Captive State. Um, I have to admit, I'm kind of impressed that we have almost as many uh, people listening right now as we do panelists. Hopefully a few more <laughs> will join. Um, but I, I was expecting this movie to be around a little bit longer than it ended up being in the theaters, at least my theater. It, was, it only ended up being here for like two weeks, so. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. I I liked it. I mean, there are certainly some problems. We can talk about maybe some of the issues and why it didn't maybe get as well received um, or maybe it wasn't as well received or whatever as we talk through. But uh, before we do that, of course, let's uh, jump into some announcements. Um, first of all, our summer semester is coming up really fast here. Um, what are we like? Less than like just about three weeks away, right? Um, a little more than yeah, three weeks away. Yeah, I think about a little less than three weeks, yeah. Um, four really great classes. Uh, one of them brand new, The Inklings and King Arthur. Um, some of you may recognize that title from a award-winning book by our own Serena Higgins, uh, edited by Serena Higgins, contributed by a bunch of people, including some other Signamites. Um, we've got, uh, the, the class itself isn't like just following the book along. It's actually kind of, taking some new territory, you know, bringing some new territory in uh, to the study and kind of looking at some things even, I think that that book doesn't look at, but uh, definitely is an interesting, uh, you know, class to be taking. Um, dystopian Tradition, uh, really great class. I took that, uh, I think I audited that uh, when it was first offered several years ago, um, looking at everything from 1984 to the Hunger Games and a bunch of stuff in between. Um, Beyond Middle Earth. Uh, for anyone who's excited about the upcoming Tolkien biopic, maybe uh, you could look at that uh, class as well. I haven't actually taken that one, but uh, it's taught by Dr. Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and Tom Shippey. So, I mean, it's going to be pretty good. Um, it is pretty good from what I hear. Uh, and then Beowulf in Old English is our translation seminar on uh, using Beowulf as a text uh, and, and kind of for those people who've taken Anglo-Saxon uh, to give them a chance to work through that. This summer, uh, dragons are coming. Uh, we've got Mythmoot 6 uh, down in Leesburg, Virginia. You can see the dates there if you don't know about it and haven't registered, or, or if you know about it and haven't registered, do that. If you don't know about it, learn about it and then register. Um, and uh, that's gonna be a lot of fun. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how many actually uh, presentations are actually about dragons and all of that. Um, I think this is the first year we, where we've had that specific of a, um, you know, theme or whatever. So I'll be really interested to see that. And then right now we have an anytime audit special. If you don't know about our anytime audit program, um, you can learn about that at signumuniversity.org. Uh, it basically we offer some of our um, older classes uh, in sort of a prepackaged format um, that lets you sort of learn at your own pace and just you know go through the materials on your own. Right now we're offering modern fantasy, uh, the first modern fantasy class um, taught by Dr. Olson uh, way back in I think 2012, uh, before Game of Thrones uh, uh, was a television series, I believe. Um, and uh, that's one of the reasons, of course, why we're offering that now because the new, the last season has uh, launched there. Also, uh, one of the other books uh, is uh, The Last Unicorn by Peter Beagle um, and his birthday's coming up. So we thought this was a great time to offer that. 
class as an anytime audit uh, on a discount. Kath, over to you. Okay. Um, previewing our next two sessions of the Mythgard Movie Club on May 30th. We will be talking about the 1967, I think, musical Camelot, which is um, based on part of T.H. White's The Once and Future King, which is based on uh, Sir Thomas Mallory's La Morte Arthur. So if you've been following along with Corey's Mythgard Academy series on that, um, be sure to tune in. Um, he will be joining us um, along with Chris Swank to talk about that. So. Um, very excited for that one. And then um, in July, we're actually going to bend our rules slightly um, and going outside our remit of movies to talk about the uh, BBC and Netflix miniseries of Watership Down, um, which Corey Olson will also be joining us. Um, he was, I think, itching to have a venue to voice uh, <laughs> his responses and um, suggested that we might want to do something with Movie Club, and we thought that was a good idea. So that is what we are going to do. We'll have to call it AB Club or something next, although that might be problematic of a name. Um, just a reminder, too, for people in the chat to um, put any comments or questions into the questions box throughout the discussion so that we can get some uh, discussion and feedback and you know share some of your thoughts and uh, questions for the panel. Um, and then I guess we can just each introduce ourselves really quickly. Um, I'm Kat Sass, co-host of the Mythgard Movie Club and uh, the academic coordinator for Signum. And uh, I also co-host the podcast Cat and Kurt's TV Review with Curtis Wyant, my co-host. And uh, yeah, I'll just go ahead. That's me. I'm Curtis. Um, as Kat said, we have a podcast together uh, and we co-host Mythgard Movie Club. I am the Dean of Outreach for uh, Signum University and uh, Fancy yeah, title. do uh, I know I was I just tried to slip it in there without uh, saying anything, but yeah, do some of the uh, social media and all that too. Um, yeah, so that's me. I'll go next. Um, I'm Dave, uh, uh, Signum alum and software engineer, and uh, you've, if you've you know watched one of these sessions before, I think it's my third or fourth time, so glad to be back. And um, I'm Ashley Toss. I am Signum alum as well, as well as the convention coordinator at Signum. Um, uh, by day, I'm a freelance writer where I write at my blog, nerdyblogging.wordpress.com. I'm also now a staff writer at fangirlish.com, and I'm also a contributor at retros.com. Uh, and, and Ashley has one of the coolest gigs writing about the new Game of Thrones season, so if you... Uh have some hot takes on there. You can go check hers out too and maybe start some conversation. Yeah. I like talking right. Game of Thrones. I like talking movies. I like, I'm excited about Captain State. So. Yeah, this is a good one. Well, so let's jump into it. So uh, one, one of the hard things about these new release films, right, is trying to get images that reflect um, what's going on because you have to sort of resort to trailers, which are notorious for not wanting to reflect what's actually going on. Um, so I really wanted to get like an image of like the computer uh, from like the opening sequence, you know, typing out like the instructions and stuff. But of course that like gives too much away of the plot and the situation. So I couldn't do that. But um, I wanted to start out just by talking, um, or I, I thought we could start out at least by talking about the situation, um, you know, 
kind of, I guess, uh, from that opening, uh, I guess, kind of the cold open of like the father, you know, the parents and, and trying to escape the city and then into this opening title sequence of, you know, kind of explaining what's going on and, and sort of the lapse of 10 years of what's happening there. So, um, yeah, I don't, uh, any, any thoughts there? Any, anyone want to jump in and kind of give uh, their impression of, of the whole opening sequence? It really gave me like a 1980s dystopian sort of uh, feel. Um, now, I've only seen it once and it's been ages since I've seen it, but um, it made me think of, uh, for whatever reason, it brought up, brought to mind Escape from New York. Um, if any of you are mm. a little more versed in that, I don't know, just the look and feel of it. Um, I also thought about it as um, in uh, Dr. Sturgis's Star Wars class, we talked a lot about um, Star Wars as a silent film. And I thought it was really interesting. Like the, the opening exposition is all visually done. There's very little um, dialogue or anything that is um, explaining to you what's going on. I thought that was interesting. So I've never seen Escape to New York. Um, so what from. is it from? From sorry, New York. Very, from. Very Clearly important. I haven't seen it. The, the direction is an important feature. <laughs> Proving that I've not seen it. Um, so I guess, can you, Ashley or anybody else, it seems like everybody else has seen it, um, maybe unpack a little more <laughs> for me, like what you mean by that when you say that it like reminds you of that or that like, more broadly, it has a kind of 80s aesthetic to what about the opening sort of made you think of those things? Well, mostly for me, at least it was the you know, black screen, green typeface. Um, it looked like a um, 1980s type computer system to me. Also, the feeling of being trapped. Um, that That is what evoked Escape from New York for me. Um, just needing to escape or get out. Um, uh, Curtis yeah. or Dave, if you guys are a little more well-versed in Escape from New York than I am, you, you fire away. I'm not, yeah. but but I definitely agree that there was an 80s vibe to it. Like, it, it reminded me of, of War Games, you know, with the, the black text with the green. And, you know, I, I agree with that aesthetic. I, I got that vibe, too, from the opening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I will. And I... It didn't make me think of Escape from New York, but as soon as you said that, like I can see why it would. Um, particularly, so I mean, just the the situation of having so, so Escape from New York, right? Kurt Russell trying to he has to like go into New York, which has been walled off as a city, as like a prison, basically, like a citywide prison. And so you know, just this idea of being, um, you know, having these major cities being places where people are trapped, they can't leave for whatever reason, obviously very situationally very different um, in terms of this being sort of an alien occupation film and that one's just more dystopian, <laughs> you know, this is how the, we're gonna have so many people in prison that we need a whole city to, you know, encapsulate them. But um, yeah, in terms of sort of like the gritty um, urban, you know, city as a prison and there's, you know, kind of no rules anymore, or at least, you know, in this, in this, in this case, it's, you know, um, with that opening scene with, 
you know, the dad who's a detective, you know, trying to escape. And then like, you get to this point where like, you're, you're literally not allowed to leave, you know, or go beyond this area. Um, so I can definitely see that. And then of course, you know, Gabe throughout, at least like the first half of the film, like that's the whole thing is like, how do I escape this city? And, you know, until it turns into, okay, now how do I get into the restricted zone and, and fight back? Um, so I could definitely see that feel. I was, um, when I first saw it, I think I saw, I thought of um, kind of a hybrid. So like, like there's sort of District 9 feel to it, I feel like, in parts of it, which also has that, I mean, that's not, it's kind of reverse, right? Because it's like the aliens are the ones restricted to a particular area. Uh, rather than aliens restricting people from a particular area. So it's, there's like a reversal of um, concept there, but it's it's that idea of like, you know, we've got this sort of dual existence happening. And as long as everyone kind of stays in their place, then we'll have a tenuous peace, so to speak. But when people sort of step outside of those bounds is when, you know, conflict and, and trouble starts to happen. Um, and well, then there was another I mean, one I, I was going to say, but I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. <laughs> um, I hadn't been thinking of this in comparison, but I a couple weeks ago I rewatched uh, Children of Men too, which I feel like, in some ways, mm -hmm. that has some very, um, you know, country, you know, based scene set pieces. But there's at least certain sections which are set in these kinds of. Um, refugee camps, which are, you know, a little more urban feeling and more decrepit, the buildings are falling apart and people are just kind of living in the slums and everything. Um, so, I mean, I feel like with all these movies about you're trapped in the city and it's falling apart, but you can't physically leave it. I mean, I think we're in kind of metaphor territory here, right? Like, I mean, probably metaphors for several different things, probably not all the same thing. But um, that seems to be a pattern of when you have kind of some sort of dystopian future where people are sort of ghettoized. It's in these kind of gritty, decrepit, gray, depressing urban spaces that people can't find a way out of or aren't allowed to leave. Mm -hmm. One thing about the opening scene, particularly the, you know, the trying to escape from, from the city component that, uh, uh, that I liked is that I, I felt that that really worked for me, like the immediacy of them trying to escape and ultimately the futility mm -hmm. of it um, worked for me and actually made me really excited for the rest of the film, which we can get into my problems, many problems with the rest of the film later. But like, um, I think, I, think uh, uh, I mentioned that here so that I can contrast it later in areas where I feel like the immediacy didn't work. Um, but, and, and I think part of, of what, um, uh, part of the switch there that they make that caused me to kind of turn off from, from the vibe that I really liked in the, that early uh, uh, sequence was the nine, year, nine years later jump, which is both a large jump in time and also a bizarrely short jump in time for what they do in that period, yeah. which I think makes, it just it's just a weird combination of like lack of action and then super immediate action that's going on in this film that's very jarring and i think 
possibly incoherent, but maybe let's come back to that aspect of it. But mm -hmm. um, but at least I can recall the first on my first watching, like you don't know anything about the film yet. So that first sequence like really sucked me in. Um, so one thing it, it, is, well, oh, sorry. sorry, and I was just, I was just saying not only the sequence, but then like the, the, the parents dying in a mist of, in a red mist of just like, like that was completely like, I mean, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen, right? Like when they're there, like, are they going to be able to make it back or, you know, they, what, you know, maybe they're going to get killed. I was totally not expecting like this, just like shockwave of you know destruction that came at them um which is obviously there for uh you know to to really pull you right into that uh, i mean it, it goes along with the, what you were saying dave about the immediacy um you know pulling you in uh right away to the like oh wow you know stuff just got real <laughs> like without uh you know a need to like go into like any kind of exposition or anything about how bad the aliens are or how many people they've killed or anything it's like boom like that's it like you don't get a second chance with these people well with the well aliens are people too as dr who tells us so um speaking right. of well, which the, the whole... hold on I, sorry i have a dr who connection I, I apologize but um the other movie i just i, I realized i thought of um, was attack the block. Uh, there's a oh. surprising mm -hmm. correlation um, without the humor, of course. Um, but of course, uh, you know, Doctor Who jogged my memory because Jodie Whittaker, um, and of course, John Boyega, and we have a Star Wars connection here too. Right. So um, I wanted to get that out there. I apologize, Kat, I should have let you talk. No, um, no, not a lot of humor in this movie, which maybe could be no. one of the issues we might bring up. Um, I had another thought, but I think you, Doctor I'm Who, sorry. scared it out of my brain. Once Doctor Who gets mentioned, I can't really think about anything else. So if that, oh no, okay, I have it, I got it. Um, <laughs> like so Doctor Who, if you talk long enough, you'll figure it out again. There you go. Um, so one of the other shows that we've talked about on our podcast, separately from this, um, is Battlestar Galactica. And just as um, Dave was kind of going over the premise there, it, it reminds me in conception of the kind of occupation mini plot of that show for yeah. anybody that's seen it. You know, there's a kind of stretch of episodes where, you know, you're on a planet and the bad guys land and now, you know, and there is the same sort of jump, like, you know, when we pick up, you know, a, a season later, however a couple of years have passed and you you miss, you skip over the kind of like, how do we build a occupation infrastructure bit and we get sure. into the good stuff of now we're three years in or whatever and a resistance has already been sort of built and there are collaborators and there are resistance fighters and there's tension between the two of them which is separate from the tension with the overlords who've you know swept in and yeah. i feel like it really reminds me of that of but i think what's tough i mean it's, it's one thing for the the cold open that kind of very strong um jump in in media res premise where you don't know what's going on, you're disoriented. And that opening scene is very kind of, like Dave was saying, very immediate and visceral. And you're just kind of swept up in um, the drama of it. You don't really, the fact that you don't really know what's going on is kind of a strength. 
Um, but then kind of as the plot unfolds, I feel like what we're missing, which is a strength of putting that story into a long running TV show, is that we really don't know anything about the people at all. Um, and, you know, I feel like a, this movie kind of continues beyond that first scene, maybe to hold us at a distance, maybe a little bit too much. Um, I do think mm -hmm. there's, there is a virtue in mystery and in not um, patronizing your audience and, and not needing to over explain anything. And, and kind of, it's nice to kind of, in some ways be teased and have to kind of fit the puzzle pieces together yourself. But on the other hand, I feel like starting with a cold open where we know nothing and then jumping forward in time and then kind of, we can talk about this in more detail, but continuing to sort of jump around to different characters and different plot lines. Um, I wonder if that's a bit too much distance. Like, do we ever really get deep enough into the world to feel super strongly about what we're seeing or care too much about any of the characters? Um, I don't know. I wonder if that sort of part of the issue is, is, is kind of trying to do this with, with a world and a character, you know, group that we just know nothing about. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. And to some degree, um, because I mean, certainly like if we know nothing about the characters, we know like less than nothing about the aliens. Right. Um, which brought to mind um, this quote that um, I found years ago from Orson Scott Card and always sort of sticks in my mind whenever uh, thinking about like insectoid aliens, um, where, you know, he says that they've been long used in science fiction. Um, and he was uh, speaking specifically about uh, Robert Heinlein's Starship Troopers, the book, not the movie, um, although we have the movie depicted here. Uh, you know, but just this idea of, you know, the reason that sci-fi writers kind of use the insectoid alien, you know, the sort of nameless, you know, scary thing um, is to highlight what the human action is, right? It, like, it, it doesn't even necessarily matter what or who the enemy is per se. I, I don't know that I wholly believe Orson Scott Card because he went on to write many, um, you know, sequels to Ender's Game in which he does explore like who and what the aliens are. But like just taking this quote, at least at face value, um, you know, just the idea of that, like at least for, you know, Ender's Game, like the importance there isn't like the makeup of what the, you know, the enemy is. It's just that it's some sort of nameless enemy. And I think we have that here. But kind of what I hear you saying, Kat, is like we also never really get to know who the protagonists are, which is maybe a problem. Um, or at least not fully or as fully as we could get to know them. Um, even like like Jane Doe is Jane Doe, right? Like she never gets a real name um, per se. And all the others have fairly generic names, you know, Gabe and Bill, and you know, kind of that sort of thing, which is fine. But like it also just sort of reflects on the genericness of some of the aspects of their characters, I feel like. They were there's actually an interesting, there's an interesting tension though here of like I'm curious what other people think about like this idea of the aliens as legislators or roaches, you know, like you know, we kind of have these two names depending on your point of view of how you 
see the, the role of the alien invaders and everything. And Roaches kind of, I guess, keeps you in that buggy alien tradition of, you know, Ender's Game and Starship Troopers and everything. Um, but I mean, this idea of legislators kind of puts them in a very like bureaucratic and, and I suppose kind of intellectual role. Like if you're legislating mm -hmm. something, you must have intelligent thought and purpose behind what you're doing. It's not just, you know, uh, animals invading you. Um, it's, it's something a little more purposeful and, and shadowy than that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I guess, what do you guys think? Like, is the, is the mystery the point? Like, is it, is it a strength to not get too deep into who they are and why they're doing what they're doing? Or do you feel like you would have liked to have seen more about that, you know, them, the aliens or their purpose or what, um, what's going on in the background with them? I thought a lot about V, um, when I watched this mm -hmm. film, um, uh, you know, we have V like the, the miniseries came out in the mid eighties and it had a sequel miniseries. And then it had like a, like a one season run of a TV show. And then it got rebooted in 2009, I believe with Miranda Baccarin. Um, yeah. But, you know, same concept, you have the visitors, and if, you know, if you are anti-visitor, they're lizards. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's um, it almost like using the name legislator or the name visitor um, makes it a little more human versus if you're a roach or you're a lizard, uh, you know, those are decidedly not human. Um, so it kind of affects whichever one you use affects how you um, view uh, view the the creatures. Um, it tells us more about like us or the the characters, the, the human characters, than it does about right. the the aliens themselves. Mm -hmm. Exactly, you anticipated exactly what I wanted to say, which was that in the case no, that's, that's a good thing. In the case of uh, the term specifically, like. I doubt very much that the aliens picked that word. Um, well, either word, obviously, but they wouldn't have picked a derogatory term for themselves. But in the case of the word legislators, like they probably didn't choose that. It was, and we're not told one way or another. But in all likelihood, it was the the bureaucratic humans that chose that, probably for you know to project that very image for the aliens, not necessarily what they chose for themselves. Um, on the question of is it better to know what the aliens are doing or not, put me firmly in the it's best to not know camp. Um, I always think alien movies ruin this and they always do it crappy, you know, like in the case of Independence Day, a movie I love, but you know, where he has the whole telepathic vibe and it's, yeah. it's so silly. Um, although shout out to Bill Pullman and Hornell, New York. Um, but uh, in, in any case, um, like, yeah, I, I, n I never think it works. I think I think uh, uh, it's a lot more realistic, if you can call it that, to to expect that we won't really know what their true intentions are. So I think I think the play is always to is always to not try to explain it and let let the audience and let the characters infer uh, what they what they think is best. Yeah, uh, not surprisingly, the Independence Day connection uh, definitely popped into my mind, too, um, I think. Uh, and that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about the fact that the aliens probably didn't choose the term legislators either. I mean, of course, you're dealing with translation issues here, right? Like we see like there's like 
you know, the woman who's questioning, um, what's his name in the movie, Bill or whatever, uh, you know, hearing like, you like, you hear like the chittering sound or whatever, and then she like translates it and whatever. So yeah, who knows what they call whatever function that is. And uh, you could imagine like, cause all of this was done, it was like all the world leaders who like give up, right? And, and sign like whatever treaty they have with the aliens. Like you can imagine there being like a, you know, PR session of like, okay, now what are we gonna call this? You know, in order to put it in the best light possible. Well, they're the legislator, so like we have to listen to them. We, you know, we have to do what they say. But that the aliens may not have thought about that. Um, and yeah, I wanted to I wanted to touch on a point too that Kat brought up of like the intelligence aspect of it, because like I do think that when when you have these sort of mindless, uh, you know, insect creatures like even even something like alien where like you can think like like the individual alien is like smart in terms of like hunting and you know going after its prey and whatever but you don't think of it as like building a civilization that can like travel through the stars right it's like more of like a parasite in a lot of ways or or whatever and i know there are stories out there that do have the aliens that can build spaceships and that kind of thing i guess it's not wholly unheard of but um Typically, one of you know one of the points of having these sort of you know uh, uh, insectoid aliens is is really to dehumanize them, you know. And so this is like just going in that opposite direction completely. Not that it humanizes them, but at least on an intelligence level, it makes them seem more um, you know intelligent and and capable and all of that. Well, and that's an interesting thing that I'm not sure what else to compare it to that I feel like they try to go farther in both directions, which is an interesting tension. Like in some ways, they are more intelligent than comparable aliens that you see in other stories and movies. But on the other hand, it's not like they just make them more humanoid in that way. They they also like live underground and you never really see kind of what their civilization or their you know life is right. like and and physically they're they're not um humanoid in any way um they you know they're very kind of bizarre and fish-like at times and you know have weird i don't know anatomies that we can't understand the purpose of so i i feel like it's an interesting choice for the filmmakers to try to make them both more intelligent and purposeful than you expect, but also more animalistic than you might expect as well, physically. Yeah. Hey, so while we're on this slide, Kat, can you um, go through like what all these, because these are not obviously all from captive state. So can you just uh, run through them all? Because I know some of them, but I actually don't recognize a couple, so. Sure. Well, Ashley had thrown a few things that it reminded her of in, in a you know document that we had going and, and um, I was thinking about it too. So the, the, the bottom corners are from Captive State, but um, in the top left there, we've got the Starship Trooper being uh, grabbed by a bug. And um, uh, below that on the left hand side is the spaceship from Arrival. 
um, which, you know, the aliens oh, in right. that are, are an interesting comparison. They're also very intelligent mm -hmm. and omniscient. I haven't seen ways. that one. Uh, that's a good candidate for a future for future discussion. Um, okay. I won't get too much into it, but like uh, I think just in terms of this the spaceship, um, I mean not the the shape of the ship itself, but just that kind of kind of the way it's sort of vertical and kind of hovers over the water there. I think that's very reminiscent of the shapes on the right hand side that you see Gabe looking at across the the lake here. Um, oh, although even the shape, though, I mean, it's kind of cocoon-like, right? Like you could right. like, yeah, like it's, it's an, or an egg sac or something, you know. It's not mm -hmm. an exact copy, but it's reminiscent, you know, and yeah. and not your typical flying saucer. Let's put it that way. And yeah, kind of cocoon-like, maybe connecting to the the bug imagery. Um, right. Um, and then uh, in the top right corner is what the Ender's Game movie did with the buggers. Um, right. So, and then in the middle, um, Ashley had brought up, this isn't aliens necessarily, but she brought up a connection to um, Stranger Things and the um, is the upside down, is that what they call it? Uh, yeah, that's the upside down. Um, and uh, in this particular shot, that is, uh, Will is in a Demogorgon nest. Um, and, but right. the Demogorgon itself, um, there's a lot, of, a lot of things about it that reminded me of the creatures. Um, or the uh, legislators, I suppose. Yeah, and and they're kind of underground right. dwelling. Their association right. with what's underneath and buried, and you know, kind of lurking right. down in the dark corners of the world. There's a kind of similar connection there. Mm -hmm. Um. So. How many of you thought of Star Wars when you heard Light of Match Ignite a War? Specifically, The Last Jedi. I did. <laughs> I actually thought a lot about Rogue One as well. Um, about okay. um, the you know, themes of like courage and hope and um, starting a rebellion. Um, I sure. That a lot. And, you know, I mean, this is just occurring to me because I don't. I didn't think about Star Wars at the time, um, although I see the connections now that you point them out. But um, uh, the kind of similarly um, kind of suicide mission vibe to Rogue One, you know, the fact yeah. that that whether or not that was the intent, they sort of both end in necessary sacrifice on the part of the resistance fighters and also sure. in order to kind of pass the torch to the next whoever the next group of people are going to be. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it was more the phrasing of that line that is so close. And I put the quote there from Poe Dameron, although it's repeated by a couple of characters, I believe, um, in The Last Jedi of, you know, being the spark that'll light the fire that'll burn the First Order down. Um, I don't know how intentional that is. I mean, you know, sparking a revolution. There's also, we get, um, where is it here? I have a, a copy of the Phoenix imagery, which of course, you know, the Firebird from Star Wars, the Rebels, you know, all that. So anyway, um, just thought that that uh, was some curious parallels. Uh, I don't know how intentional that was, but anyway. Um, so yeah, speaking of sort of the plot 
what was the plot? Because <laughs> that's, if, if I have to say like my biggest sort of peeve is, is I had a lot of questions. And one of the reasons why I did want to watch it again, which I wasn't able to because it didn't stick around in theaters long enough for me to go see it again, um, was, was to do a better job of like actually trying to suss out like how on point the actual plot was as described as we see. Um, obviously we get different reveals. Um, I, also, I, I also think there's some point of view um, issues with this in going back and forth between some of the characters and, and how some of the information is revealed and stuff leaves a lot open for interpretation, I guess. Um, but I wanted to get a sense of like, yeah, what do we all agree on was the actual plot? And by plot, I mean not even like the plot of the movie, but like the plot within the plot, right? Like the, I was just the, gonna ask, do you mean the um, plot of the film or the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. plan of the- I, I, I realized as I was talking, I wasn't being clear. I mean like the plan, like what what is apparently, you know, the, the plan to fail, right? Um, my biggest question is why? <laughs> like, why is that the plan? Um, and I mean, I kind of get where they're going with it. I'm just not sure it works real well, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think it does, but I think I can at least attempt to answer your, your immediate question. Um, so like, you kind of out actually outline it fairly well here on the slide. Um, <laughs> tongue in cheek, perhaps, <laughs> but I do think I mean, it's, it's the old like slash dot meme, right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of a fair. I the the one quibble I would have, and I think this goes a long way to explaining your question, is with step one, the builder assistance network. Um, I think the plan, um, is uh is, essentially a reboot of their first plan. We don't quite get a good sense of what happened in Wicker Park, but we're taken to understand they tried to to rebel, they tried to blow something up or something akin to that and the plot failed um, and they you know, took heavy losses as a resistance. Um, so step one, they didn't, so for this new plan, they didn't have to do step one because step one still existed, right? The, the whole conceit was that all of the previous resistance are not dead. They're still out there and around, or at least some of them. So right. um, given that they tried it one way, more, a, more of a straightforward resistance and failed. Um, plan B is let's try to get a guy inside. And, and uh, um, I guess the best way to do that is to intentionally, uh, uh, you know, intentionally uh, uh, kill themselves in order to, you know, get their guy to be trusted enough to, to get close enough. I, presumably that's the plan. Um, I think it makes a little bit more sense to me having just watched it, uh, rewatched the movie today uh, for a second time and really keep, really paying, paying attention to that specific point. Um, I still don't think it quite works, but it makes a little bit more sense if you try to remember um, or try to infer what may have happened in Wicker Park. They, they're not really clear on that. And I think that's one of the weaknesses of uh, just trying to understand what the plot is of this film. Um, so here's a question I have that I feel like I, I made an assumption, but I'm questioning whether my assumption is maybe this is obvious and we all thought it, or maybe I'm alone in this. Um, 
it seems to me too, like the key is this idea of the Trojan horse, which we can kind of talk more about that in relation to Jane Doe and everything. But um, I think that the the part of the, you know, a key part of the plan too, seems to be this idea of, I mean, clearly we have Bill going down into sort of the bowels of the upside down there to go, you know, take care of the legislators. Um, but also we have um, Rafe being deported at the end. Um, and I came out of the movie kind of thinking that was a key part of the plan was get him deported, get him onto a ship. He's he's the Greek mm -hmm. in, the, in the Trojan horse going off to whatever colonies they have, you know, um, or a oh, homeworld or whatever, kind of yeah. being, you know, infiltrated into that. But then I, I was kind of reading some you know, looking at some reviews and stuff today and hearing you guys talk, I don't know that everybody necessarily agrees with that. I, you could, I think maybe also interpret it that Rafe tries to genuinely tries to commit suicide and isn't successful and is just, you know, unlucky in the end. And that he was another casualty of, of this plan that maybe only belonged to the highest levels of leadership. So, um, what do you guys think about that? Is he also, is his, is his survival part of the plan or was he supposed to go down along with everybody else? Because I imagine he, that he's, I thought he was on there with either some plan to blow things up or just taking his resistance to give it to other people, to recruit other people, to kind of try to spread it out into these off-world colonies as well. It's a, I think it's a nice interpretation. I don't know that I don't buy it. it. <laughs> and here's, here's why. I, I, don't, I don't think that anybody in the resistance knows about Bill other than uh, Jane Doe. Sure. Um, and I don't know that anyone else on the plot thought that at the least, real at, reason at least until of the plot. he gives Gabe the video. Sure. And, all right. I'll, right. I'll, yeah, definitely. I'll grant yeah. you that at that point. But um, that probably only extends to Gabe uh, and right. not to. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, the other the other folks who were ex actually knowingly executing the plan. I think in their minds, they thought the plan was the plan they were executing, not the Trojan horse thing to get Bill into the into the tunnel. I could be mistaken about that, but um, that's how I read it. And in that reading, I it doesn't I don't see a place for for Rafe off planet. And it, if that was the plan, and Rafe was aware that that was the plan to get uh, by which I mean to get him off planet, um, the whole him trying to commit suicide and Bill like stopping him by shooting him doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, at least if the plan is to get Rafe off the off the planet as like a trojan horse to the next planet um uh rafe doesn't seem to be aware that that's part of the plan if you know what i mean sure now that's that's a that's an interesting compromise maybe they are sending him off planet but he doesn't necessarily know that they're counting on him continuing to resist and fight and recruit people so it could be that he yeah. is part of the plan in a way that he just isn't aware Touche. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like that's a lot of benevolent interpolation <laughs> um, to, to sort of foist upon the movie. Um, 
because yeah, yeah like I thought Rafe was like in on it the whole time and he put on a show for Gabe's benefit and for the benefit of all the other collaborators sort of watching. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I saw it three him. times and that never once crossed my mind, but of course I'm, you know, something like that could have easily slipped past me. I think it was an interesting idea for sure. I, I feel um, like that would be a more interesting movie. <laughs> definitely. If, <laughs> because one, so here's one of my, my problems with the plan was like, what, you know, going back to the dot, dot, dot success, right? Like, he goes down and destroys this one restricted area, of, you know, in Chicago. But, like, we get the sense that there's, like, dozens or hundreds even of these across the world. Like, so does everyone employ the same tactic of, like, killing all the, like, does everyone within, like, I don't know, a few days or weeks, like, also destroy their entire resistance network in order to get someone on the inside who can then blow it up? And they all happen to have these, you know, uh, special, you know, alien bombs that can turn transparent. And, like, it's just, like, there's so many things for that to line up if, if the idea is, like, basically a war of attrition, which then the aliens say, okay, it's just too expensive to keep occupying this area. We're going to back off. That just doesn't seem like realistic to me. I mean, it's sci-fi, so I guess whatever, but like, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like it, not every spark ignites a fire, right? Like some sparks just fizzle out and don't do anything. So like, it doesn't seem to me that like. A lot of things have to go right for this yeah. to react. Yeah, like like the the narrative of the closing credits where like this does actually work. Like, is it because Chicago had like were it was this like all the legislators were here and so that's why it works, which we don't get a sense of, or or that it was somehow the the main like home office, I guess, on you know, or like the I don't know the main embassy on Earth or whatever you want to call it, like where you know because of its importance in chicago like that does something but we don't get that sense either it's it's more like oh well it happened here so that idea spreads and that to me is just like well but if the aliens are smart enough wouldn't they notice what happened wouldn't they like in retrospect realize what happened and stop it like another place? i don't know i that was the sort of right right or things how can that i was I having trouble how can the idea spread if people don't know what the idea is? Um, also true. You know, which I think was part of my kind of generous interpolation was that maybe more people were in on the plan. I wasn't assuming that only Jane Doe and Bill are the only single two people who know what's going on. I, I think I kind of inferred that, well, in order for this to spread and have a more widespread impact, there must be some sort of larger communication at work. Mm. I don't know. But I think to your point, we don't get that confirmed. We would have to supply that ourselves. Yeah, the the implication is that communication is completely dormant though, right? Like that's that's the end of the opening title sequence is like this is the last message. 
interesting. And then that's like the message we see 10 years later when like Jane Doe is discovered, right? Is like, oh, this was the last message. So it, the implication is that there's no communication between the different cells, really. I don't know. I, I thought of it less about like the logistics of, you know, this is how we blow these critters up. It, it's, it's, uh, it was more of they can be beaten. Um, what's, sure. what's the, the, the quote that is, uh, uh, it's, uh, uh fairy tales tr tell us not that, that dragons are real, but that dragons can be beaten. Um, right, right. It, it, right. Oh, for yeah. me, it was that kind in. of concept. It, it was less about the logistics of, oh, is there a, uh, are these factions all interconnected? Is there underground resistance in each city and they communicate somehow? Um, you know, but it, it wasn't that so much as like, oh, oh snap, we can actually do something about these guys and we can we can defeat them. I 100% agree. I think Ashley's hit on exactly the message that they're trying to convey. And I think it's best um, observed in the timeline that they give us. So that that nine years that goes by um, is nine years from first contact. That's not nine years from the end of whatever the first wave of resistance was. They explicitly say nine years from first right. contact. So that within that nine years, the aliens showed up. Apparently we had some sort of war or something with them that we ultimately gave up and lost on. And then they imposed this whole martial law thing, putting, you know, bug implants and everybody apparently on the earth. And we've acclimated to this all within nine years. Um, there doesn't, in that timeline, there, there is no room for any real opposition to the aliens when they came. And I think that's, that's one, first of all, that's one thing that, that totally ruins the movie for me because I don't find that the slightest bit realistic. Um, I could, you know, I've never been to Chicago. Maybe there are a bunch of fighters there. I could believe that Chicago gave up and was like, eh, whatever, you know. But everywhere in the world, that doesn't I don't know. hold water with me. Like, All of the news reports of, like, <laughs> gun violence and stuff in Chicago, I have a feeling that, like, there would be a few people taking at least pot shots at the aliens, right? Like, Yeah, that's they fair. Might, they might hold out longer oh. than most. Also, it, it sounds like they only occupied the cities. Because, like, the whole, the whole Gabe escape subplot is predicated on the fact, well, I mean, maybe he doesn't actually know that this is true because, like, we, he never gets outside the city. But, like, the whole concept was, you know, his father at least was convinced that if they got outside the city and up north to their cabin that they would be able to, you know, be able to escape from the alien's notice. So, like, I, I could see that there's you know, a potential for resistance outside the city is growing of, you know, different people moving around. You know, it's a Red Dawn, you know, Wolverines kind of thing, right? Like outside of like the occupied territory, they're, they're, it would seem like maybe a militia or two, at least in the U.S., you know, would like form some kind of resistance, whether it's successful or not, it's a different thing. But, um, so I kind of agree there, but yeah, anyway, um, I don't know where else I was going to go with that. Uh, the the lack of true resistance does, I guess, agree. Like, I agree with what you're saying there. 
Yeah, and I think I think I think that's the only way that the message of the movie, such as there is one, makes sense to me is if if the resistance folks just didn't believe that the world really gave it a legitimate shot to put up a, a real opposition, especially given what we do see about the aliens, they're not that hard to destroy, right? They fought the guy, the the alien down in the. Um, I know the one at the start of the movie seemed pretty formidable, but when he had to actually like go up against him down in the garage there and kind of the, you know, the big um, uh, stadium scene, it didn't seem like they were that hard to kill. So um, it really seems like I, I could see where a resistance would be frustrated with humanity that apparently gave significant ground to an alien invasion within the space of a few years at most. Um, and so it really does seem to me that that the point is that uh, humanity didn't step up. And maybe one of the reasons, uh, I think perhaps this is tied to um, one of the slides I think that we actually passed about who's the protagonist in this film and how there doesn't really yeah. seem, to, seem to be one. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm reaching a lot on this point, but... Uh, at least for me as an individual, when I'm, uh, uh, I feel that I'm my best self when I, when I express my individuality and stand up for my own rights, my own things that I value. And as part of a collective, when that, when I feel like that, those are less important, like I feel less impetus to act, um, uh, certainly for, for um, what I might see as, an, as a net negative for my own person, personally. And so, um, there, there seems to be this this idea in the film that kind of plays down the value of the individual, like both obviously in the community at large, but even in even within these this cell, like we we don't really learn who the any of the names. I mean, I guess we got Bill Down and Gabe, right? Um, I barely remembered those if if you guys hadn't repeated them. Um, but there there really doesn't seem to be a focus in this film on giving a crap about any particular person, and I don't. I think that might feed into kind of the ethos of this film. I mean, what do you guys feel about that? How do you, what did you take away from that kind of vibe in the film? I, I found the, the, the middle, I guess the middle section sort of disorienting. Um, you know, that's that kind of part where we switch from, we're kind of going back and forth between Gabe and Bill. So you kind of have like normal person in the world sort of, vaguely aligned with the resistance, but he's not, he's just kind of, he's your protagonist. He's your sort of average Joe POV character. And then you get, you know, bad guy collaborator seemingly over here. Um, and then there's that, that, that switch where all of a sudden for a good like half hour, at least it seemed, it, it drops them and spends all the time with, Rafe and his resistance fighters going through the kind of procedural of what the plan is, right? Like kind of going from one to the other of like, we have to get these bugs out and we have to figure out how the bomb works and we have to kind of, you know, make sure that people are in the right place at the right time. And then we have to infiltrate the stadium and then we have to escape the stadium and then we have to get on the buses or whatever. And suddenly kind of realizing like, first of all, kind of being jarred that wait a minute, I'm with this group of characters who I don't know what their names are, let alone what their 
doing and then kind of realizing we've completely dropped like i think we left gabe back in in the garage being surrounded by aliens and we have no idea what happened to him like we just right. completely left him in this moment of peril um and then kind of coming back to him and kind of feeling like well is it even do i care what happens to him what's happening with the resistance <laughs> guys like they're the ones who are like in the action and i mean i hadn't thought about it in the way that you stated it in terms of a loss of individual purpose and identity but i guess that's kind of what it is i can see how you would feel that way um just structurally i couldn't figure out and and i'm fine if you know i think if we kind of decide this is an ensemble piece rather than about one kind of lead actor that's great i'm on board with that but i feel like I don't feel like the people making this movie knew which of those they wanted to do. And it wasn't, they weren't clear on that. Like, yeah. is this a story about the duality of this ordinary person and this collaborator? Or is it this big ensemble piece about the, the procedure of the resistance movement? And um, it seemed to kind of flip flop between the two kind of randomly to me. I agree with that. And that's, I alluded to like some point of view problems earlier, but I think you articulated them much better than me just saying there were point of view problems. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of that. All right. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't know if there is a protagonist. I mean, I guess like, sort of ultimately, you know, Bill is kind of, but. That was kind of my conclusion in the end. But was so that was Gabe. This was Bill's story. Sorry, what was that, Ashley? Oh, I said, but but so is Gabe. Like it's, it, I mean, yeah. they feel, to me, they feel like they share the spotlight. Um, mm -hmm. And, and okay, I agree with your assessment. Um, I kind of got lost in the middle the first time I, uh, I watched the film as well, like, like, oh, okay, so who are these people? And, you know, just didn't really have the context that I needed. So. And that poor dog <laughs> just left their bark and I, I think I, that sorry. part of the part of the issue, I think, from um, uh, from the protagonist's perspective is that I couldn't really buy into any of the characters like um i guess i guess i kind of identified with gabe but to be honest i didn't really feel um like i was rooting for anybody in this film except for that 30 seconds when we see the home video right that's suddenly you care about somebody for it because you because you at least for me see them as individuals rather than as rando nameless people who you know are sacrificing themselves for no clear purpose, um, at least in my view, uh, um, primarily going back to the reasons that Curtis said about how it doesn't really seem that there's a good strategy for this beyond this one city, right? Okay, we blew up this one town. Now, how does this strategy go on? It doesn't make a lot of sense. But, but in any case, like, in order, to, in order to like the characters, I had to wait all the way until the very end of the film Right. And that's a horrible way, I think, to, to get an audience to buy into your to buy into your characters. 
Sorry, Kerr, I interrupted you. You were going to say something. No, no, no. I was going to interrupt you. But um, I think, yes, I agree with that. And, and like, it is like the, yeah, the scene at whatever is like a birthday party or, you know, barbecue or whatever um, is interesting. The, so the plan of like killing your entire resistance network, it's just, doesn't leave much of a safety net for you. Like, like your bank and like, okay, fine. We're desperate. <laughs> like a collaborator. We're desperate to like, you know, get this to work, but like, surely there's something between, you know, nobody dying and killing literally everyone who's on your side in order to, you know, take this one shot at them. Like, like, couldn't maybe a, a few notable people? Like, okay, fine. There's cannon fodder in every war. So, like, yeah, you know, the mechanic and, you know, the guy with the dog. Like, okay, they, they're going to have to die. Like, we know that. They think they're doing something really important, but we know they're going to die. And that sucks, but you have to make hard decisions as a leader, right? But, like, literally all the entire network has to, like, be killed. Couldn't, couldn't he have possibly you know, have said like, well, you know, we believe we found the entire network, but secretly no, no, there's still some out there. But who else is going to know at that point? He's the leader. <laughs> like he's the one in charge. Like, I don't know. It, it just, it, it, I don't buy it. I don't buy that that would be a good tactic. But this is, why, this is why intentional deportation makes far more sense to me. Um, Sure, and you know, I think and, if, and why, if I and thought I that think, that was actually a, you know, in design, I I would think that that would be a great idea. I just don't think that it occurred to any of the filmmakers. Sure, <laughs> um, and I think again why I assumed there are more resistant. Like I I think my brain just wouldn't let me consider the idea that this was everybody because I agree if if this is everybody that makes. I mean, at, at least in Chicago, that's what I get the sense of. Like, sure, I mean, because sure. I mean, the other thing is we don't actually know. Like, maybe other cells were successful at not killing everybody in their networks. Right. Maybe, maybe they somehow figure it out. Oh wait, we saw what they did, and it's like, you know, the first generation of the iPhone. You know, Apple figured out a better way to make iPhones. Like later, like maybe the other cells were able to figure out a better way to kill roaches slash legislators. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that while you all are really tackling like the structure of the film and like the logistics and little bits and pieces of how everything is working, I saw that film three times and the one thing that really resonated me with not was not necessarily like oh, why didn't they do this? Or why didn't they do that? Or does it make sense for them to do this? It was, for me, it was the emotion that the film evoked. Um, things about like courage and fighting um, for the, the people that you love. Um, and so like when I, the video at the end, it just, it, you know, I got hit in the feels really hard. <laughs> um, uh, just, um, because it, it wasn't about preserving um, society for them. It was, it was about preserving society for the next generation. Um, 
I, I think it's really interesting the 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 lines and I you know you all can help me suss them out a little bit but the uh, the line in the video that Bill says um, um, you know, teacher or a cop choose one um, and then whatever you are be a good one um, mm -hmm. um, so just thinking about thematically how that how that works uh, with with Gabe um, he's you know, just kind of out for himself at first. And then, you know, he's realizing that he needs to step up and be a leader in some way. So is he a teacher or is he somebody like Bill, who's um, who's the cop who's having to infiltrate and um, stand in the gap and protect somebody in some way like that? I just think it's a very interesting idea. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think Bill, I think, came the closest to me for the characters feeling well developed enough that I felt something at that at you know at the end when we get the reveal of I mean I I kind of was looking for a twist with Bill you know so maybe mm -hmm. it was psychologically I was a bit prepared I was kind of like waiting for all right this guy's ambiguous so what are we going to find out about what he knows and how he's involved. So, I mean, I won't say I like predicted the ending, like I wouldn't go that far, but it, but it kind of felt fitting when we get the reveal. And, and I felt like we had enough time with him and, and had enough of kind of what he was up to that I did feel kind of the emotion of that. And, um, and the, the twist kind of made sense on, on a, I guess both a plot and an emotion sort of level. And I, I wish I felt that way about the rest of the characters. Um, you know, I think I, I just having the times that we kind of just dropped out from Gabe entirely um, kind of stopped me from that and, and not learning. I mean, I, I kind of like the ensemble of the resistance, how like, they're kind of different from each other and, and, you know, you could kind of, they're distinct enough, but I don't, I didn't really feel like I knew about them and, you know, closely enough to really feel a big emotional impact when they, you know, give their lives for the cause and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So I think from speaking for myself, you know, the, the logistics is sort of what you end up focusing on when you're not, emotionally engaged you know like I think if I did feel more strongly I wouldn't necessarily be as distracted by the the, the planning aspects of everything I would agree with the with the sentiment that uh, that the emotion I found was well communicated and I think partly that was due to the strength of the acting that's one thing I actually did quite like yeah. in the film. I mean, John Goodman is flawless in absolutely everything he is in. Uh, I couldn't speak more highly of an actor. Everything. I will defend <laughs> the worst movie he's ever made. I will defend it. Um, and uh, and the and the kid who plays Gabe as well and and Rafe. I I, I liked all three of those guys. Um, and Jane, she wasn't uh, she didn't have a lot of screen time, but I thought she was really effective. So I really liked the um, the acting. I thought they communicated uh, uh, the emotion well. I thought the um, the the I guess the set design and stuff like that it was really evocative of uh, claustrophobic uh, kind of urban decay 
vibe that I really got off of. So I, I, I appreciated that aspect of it. Um, one thing that, though, uh, I, I hate to keep harping on the plot thing, but another aspect of it came back to me that uh, I, I will, I will, I tell you what, I will skip my rants about how the technology is totally ridiculous, but uh, I will set that aside. Consider yourselves lucky. But one thing I do have to say that that really troubled me about the ending and about the message that you're trying to send is that ultimately, um, number one, um, they talk about the you know the value of the the people who care about each other, you know, and and trying to be part of that community. You know, when when um, uh, Bill says to Gabe in the video, you know, be a, a teacher, a cop, pick one and be a good one. That that whole thing. It's a nice sentiment, but it also is um, essentially. I don't think he means it in this way, but the words literally are telling him to be one of these things that you are predestined to be based on your family, um, which is not really, uh, um, I guess doesn't resonate with me as somebody who would prefer to, you know, pick my own destiny rather than have it foisted on me by my prior generation, number one. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't respect my autonomy as an individual. It does the opposite of that. And number two, the the whole um, the whole plot pretty much presupposes that the way to win is to um, is to be an insider and collaborate, and then but you're gonna feel your the strength of your conviction so much that ultimately you'll go through with your suicide. Um, that does not really instill like a desire to to resist. That that's the message is is telling you the opposite. It's like if you're not an insider. Don't even bother because you're going to lose unless you've got an insider who's going to do something for you. That's what it's telling you. And I think that's a horrible message. <laughs> I've seen a lot of children's books with that message. <laughs> be, be a collaborator and commit suicide. That'll... Right. But the problem with being a collaborator is that you never do that. Collaborators don't do that. No. Yeah. And in real life. Yeah. I mean, there's the occasional whistleblower, but yeah. Right, right. I mean, the piece is about when you know, early in the Trump administration about like the anonymous think pieces about how they're inside trying to bring it down from the inside and everything that's kind of right. Yeah. You know, I mean, on a different scale, but that's kind of what that makes me think of and, and how um, effective, you know, is that really um, that's open for debate. I think it's definitely open for debate considering the last decade of political history in this country with Snowden and Julian Assange mm -hmm. and, and so on. Um, I think, it, I think it's pretty safe to say at this point, it hasn't made a whole lot of positive change, unfortunately, uh, you know, from my personal view, um, which is kind of sad. Is there anything positive we can say uh, an hour and 45 minutes in to make this uh, a cheerier recording. What was a funny thing? So, was there anything funny or, or, or uplifting about this film? I, I miss, <laughs> I like there to be, you know, what's the Joss Whedon quote about like, you know, make them cry, make them think, make them feel, but like for the love of God, tell a joke. Yeah. Like, I think we could have used a couple jokes. Um, yeah. You know, no, not it, that it needs to be a dramedy or anything, but like part of creating a kind of realistic world, which I think this movie wants to do, you know, is is trying to do like a a a, a realistic depiction of what this kind of alien invasion would be like. And part of that of the world is is that there's always 
lightness. There's always some sort of humor and that's part of character and, and you know, your world building and everything. Um, yeah, I'm not. I miss even, that. It's a bit dour. This movie. Like even amongst the few like friendly relationships that we see, like even like like we don't even see like Gabe joking with I can't even think of her name. Whatever her, whatever his like girlfriend's name is there. Like you would think there'd be something, but even that's like uh you know relationship fraught with turmoil. It feels like the little bit that we get of it, um, not to mention the creepy spying aspect of it from mm -hmm. Bill's perspective, but um, yeah, there's there's zero humor at all in this movie, um, which I agree. I wanna um, poke Dave the bear a little uh, on the technology thing, because I actually, I, so I mean, I don't know what Dave's going to say specifically. I'm, I know I'm well where, enough. Where are you going with this? But I know him well enough to guess where he might. No, I I thought I thought it was interesting to have this idea of you know the legislators have um, outlawed certain forms of what we might call you know higher tech kind of stuff you know cell phones and that kind of thing and they're going through all the like like now there's this like backlog of confiscated cell phones and you know data cards and you know from computers and stuff and so you get i think that's why you get this like 1980s feel from mm -hmm. the technology because that's like like people dug out their old you know 386 you know computers that's probably even too late for 1980s but like you know um and you know are using cell phones with quarters because that like some for some reason that still works all like i kind of thought of it as like because like the legislators probably just overlooked it like they took all like they took away whatever the immediate current you know smartphones and like things that look were like the you know they assumed were like the real communication things and sort of left all of whatever infrastructure was left there and so yeah there happens to be like some old payphone on the corner and that's what they use because the legislators just never bothered to like think about it and turn it off or something like that um but i don't know I, dave clearly had a problem with it and he's a software engineer so i want to hear what he has to say on that topic all right all right well you asked for this for the record um all right there's i agree with you that the um the the whole confiscating of tech part i liked i thought they did that well um there's two two points i want to make in on this theme so one has to do with, with the confiscation of tech and the other point, has to do point one part a <laughs> that's right in 37 <laughs> sections no um so remind me if i forget so the second one has to do with the drones okay so i'll come back to the drones in a minute but okay. um uh, in the in the point of the confiscating stuff, I liked the, the the aspect of them confiscating stuff and then having to go back to the tech. I think you described that beautifully. I don't have any qualms with that. Um, the job that Gabe has makes no sense. All right, they've confiscated all these cell phones, and now what? They want me to? They want to collect everybody's old photos? What the heck for? It doesn't make any sense. Number one. Number two. The the data that they're going to get off of that. What are they going to do with that data? Number three, that data already exists or would have existed on, you know, servers all over the country, Google servers and such. Wouldn't they have access to that stuff there? Like, it doesn't seem to be, and they don't give us a reason for why they're collecting that data 
other than that they're doing it. Okay, like it seemed pointless uh, other than to give Gabe an, oppor Gabe an opportunity to play that video. Like that, all that aspect well, didn't understand. I didn't think there was a rationale for it and it was weird. So you respond have, to you that. Do you have an explanation to that? My response to that would be, uh, you know, building roads during a potato famine kind of thing. The whole point, one of the points, right, is that the legislators, um, where, where, where was it? The state of our union is strong, right? Unemployment is its lowest in history. Why? Because everyone's doing make work. Like that could very easily be, now, I'm not confident the filmmakers thought of it that way. <laughs> like, like, you know, Rafe on the dock being a plant for, you know, going to the alien homeworld would have been a great plot point, but no one, I don't, I'm not convinced anyone thought of that. I'm not necessarily convinced that they thought of like Gabe working in a factory where he has to like manually punch holes in, you know, smart cards after uploading the data. Cause you're right. Like there's probably way better and easier ways to do it. Other than the fact that like, how do they get, you know, unemployment so low, they have these manual jobs that don't actually need to exist, but it gives people something to do. And, presumably therefore keeps them busy and not you know resisting rebelling. or whatever yeah rebelling um that would be that would be my totally like retrofitted explanation i don't necessarily think that's part of the narrative per se but i think you could make that argument um i don't know if that absolves your issues with it but <laughs> No, not in the slightest, but yeah, you gave it a shot. I, I applaud the effort. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought about the cars as, as like, instead of like, you know, nowadays, I mean, yes, this is set in the future and we think about everything through the lens of like the smartphone or the tablet or something like that and everything's on an SD card or something or a SIM card. I was thinking it more of like, this is a, this is like a, uh, a digital camera or video camera or something like that and it's not actually connected to the web or anything like that so maybe they're looking for um, data of uh, any kind of resistance movement or anything like that um, and yeah, well, we're preventing people using it in the future like you said like like even if right. they can get the data in the cloud or on servers or whatever like it's you know even just the camera itself um, or the memory card could potentially be useful. So it's somebody's job to destroy them all. Right. Yeah. And you can imagine like jackbooted thugs going house to house, collecting like all of that old, like digital stuff mm -hmm. that wasn't, that isn't necessarily current things that are connected to Google and cell networks and all of that. But, you know, I mean, I've got sitting on my desk over here, I've got like old, videotapes that I've been meaning to like convert to like, <laughs> you know, newer digital media for probably 10 years. Uh, but you can imagine that sort of thing. Like they just go and collect everything and upload it to wherever who, who even know. I mean, the other ridiculous part of it, if I'm, if I'm like taking Dave's side of it to switch over for a minute is like, why do they even give people the choice of whether or not to upload something? Like, like, why is Gabe the screener of the information, you know, as to whether or not it's valuable to the legislators? He shouldn't have the option to delete anything if, like, 
you're really creating that system in a way that should be useful to them. But you know, I'm glad you've seen the light. That makes I have. No I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If I were to take your side, I would have brought up that point. But since you didn't bring it up, I win. Um, so, so what's part? What's part B? Okay. So. So my other my other my other technical qualm is with the, is with the drone technology. Oh right. You know the the they have the whole collar where they put the collar on and then suddenly you can't read them and then the aliens go oh I don't know where this guy went eh, well he's probably not important it's all good like that's that's totally ridiculous. Uh, any 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 alien that's smart enough to make us us you know to come to our planet have technology to do that and then have this swarm drone technology and tracking has the ability to detect anomalies like that and then act on those anomalies. So like the whole subplot where he's able to like hide his presence and then go into the wicker park, take his collar off and suddenly they're not able to track him now because he's in there. That doesn't make any sense. He can talk to his brother, put his collar back on, go back out, and then like reappear in the system and nobody's the wiser that he was ever gone. That makes no sense. Any I I could write a program that would detect that as an anomaly and then do some action. So an alien presence certainly could do that. The whole drone technology would have killed this resistance way before if it was if it was, you know, in any way realistic to what we could do today with drones, advanced drones, let alone an alien civilization with with drones. So that whole thing was a killer for me as well. It just they didn't they didn't take 10 minutes to to come up with a drone thing that was realistic. So they should have either left it out or, you know, did a little bit more research on it. So that's my drone qualm. Again, I think we're we're having a structure versus emotional reaction. <laughs> um, whereas um, I am, I mean, vocationally, I am strictly in the humanities. I think a lot about what storytelling is supposed to make us think and feel, and how it um, comments on humanity and um, if things that we deal with as humans and then here's Dave this technology is completely unrealistic <laughs> um, so for me it doesn't matter I don't care um, because of what the the emotion of oh snap they're coming for me and this this hides me okay I can roll with that um, versus oh no my collar's off they can they can track me now like it's, it's that that feeling of I'm on the run and that was more important to me than thinking logistically how that worked. So you're in the like putting, uh, you're in the like Arthur Clarke science and magic are basically almost <laughs> indistinguishable. Like it, it, seriously, like like mm -hmm. I, I think I I think Dave's probably right that they thought about this for all of ten minutes because I mm -hmm. clearly like the the realism of the you know the engineering behind it wasn't a priority for them and so what is the priority it's you know kind of technological macguffins you know and and you know i don't even say that like in a pejorative way like you know the technology does what they want it to do to service the the moment of the story um right. and i yeah i don't think they were necessarily thinking of it in terms of what would be technologically 
possible even today. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think they're maybe inviting themselves for criticism though, because it, it, you know, so much about the aesthetic of the film is this kind of like gritty realism that seems yeah. like it's five minutes in the future. And right. I don't know that it's they're wrong for thinking of, of wanting to do it in a less realistic way, but, but I think maybe I'm not surprised that people who have the technological knowledge are poking all kinds of holes in this because mm -hmm. everything about the film kind of tells you, I guess just on a kind of visual level, that's something that seems to be a priority even though it's not for the filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and then I'm not saying that those are not fair criticisms. I just think for me, I just came out at a completely different perspective. Is like, how is this movie making me feel? What are the, um, what's my thought process going through this film? Um, and how does this film, like, uh, I don't know, like, make me want to change or be different um, for having watched it? And it, it's not the mechanics of how does this tracking gadget work or, mm -hmm. you know, why are we smashing SD cards for a living? Um, and, and I think that's a fair point. I think you know for any individual like there's going to be different things that sort of pull you out of or draw you into you know the secondary world of it and for some people it's going to be the super technical things for others it might be the plot things for others it might be the character things like well that character's actions don't reflect correctly on you know or correctly like they don't flow naturally from like how we've seen them act before so like it doesn't make sense to me so i think yeah that's why we try to have panels with like people <laughs> with different viewpoints. So I think that's totally, you know, a fair way to look at it. Um, I think for me, I, so knowing, knowing Dave's line of work and that he's actually worked a lot with drones and, you know, programming like those sort of like automated systems, it doesn't surprise me that that's a sticking point for him. That wasn't a sticking point for me. I actually thought the technology was fairly well overall kind of based on some of the earlier stuff i thought um and i thought it had an interesting mix because they did have some of the alien technology but then like the um older tech that they had to sort of make do with but then also like the cop job i actually liked the collar thing although i i see why it could be problematic like i didn't have as big of an issue when i was watching the film I, like when they had it on when they had it off could it actually detect i wasn't thinking about that kind of thing. But I do see like how, um, like to compare it to like another movie we're gonna talk about later in the year, like The Fifth Element. Like the, like we're not gonna criticize the technology in that film because it's just like funny, weird stuff, right? Like it, like there's all sorts of, you know, crazy tech that it's, it's like, it's a more fantastical sci-fi kind of thing. I mean, I maybe Dave will, criticize it if he's on our panel for that, but maybe we just won't invite him to that one. Um, but no, uh, like, uh, like that's a sci-fi film, but like the technology in it is so bizarre and weird and it's more like fun and whatever that I like, I don't think we'll have the same view of it as we do like the tech in this where like Kat said, it's more gritty and realistic, so to speak. And so you would expect the technology to work even even like futuristic technology to work in like the ways that the 
current, at least in how current technology works, if not better, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I can I can see why that why some people might have that um, issue with that. Although I again didn't really personally myself. Um, I thought that the tech. The, the portrayal of tech was actually one of the stronger points <laughs> of the film, <laughs> which maybe Dave doesn't disagree with either, but that doesn't say a Bowing whole lot. Bowing his head and yeah. I don't, I, I don't disagree with that. One, one more point, and then I'll, I'll stop being, I'll stop being a, a, you know, a complainer about the tech, which is, um, I, I, would, I, I would agree with you. I, I'm not sort, well, maybe I'm the sort, but I wouldn't overly criticize the tech in, in Fifth Element. And, but I'll tell you one reason why it bothered me here, and it wasn't just that that it was unrealistic, although that was part of it. It was more that um, going back to the comment I made about the futility of fighting these aliens, like that, that that was kind of implied in the whole plot was that these guys are so technically sophisticated, we might as well just collaborate with them immediately when they show up on our planet. And then they show such deficient tech that they, it just it made it troubling for me to then buy into the whole premise that we had to immediately acquiesce to their power. I think that was what really got me about those things with the tech. Mm -hmm. Right, right. If there's so many weak spots in their armor, then um, why is it taking us this long to muster a, a resistance movement? It's a fair point. And and we don't actually know enough about aliens to know is like there is there a hubris thing going on like mm. yes it's possible to write something that would detect that but maybe they did like I mean people you know Facebook stored passwords in clear text files for years and years so like just because something can be done doesn't mean that the people who designed the system did it the right way but like that's total cryptic like I don't like there's no way to know because we don't know enough about the aliens right. Maybe they just never thought that humans would be smart enough to like defeat their technology. And so they never put that particular check in. Hmm. They should have hired Dave. <laughs> um, so we've covered a lot of stuff. I'm trying to think of like where maybe we, we've skipped over some things. Um, I guess, so I mean, we've all given a lot of responses here. Um, the the overall response to this was clearly pretty mixed. Um, I mean, I just this like initially I liked the movie, but also came out of it like I feel like I need to watch it at least one or two more times to like you know process some of the things, especially with the reveal because um, I, I think kind of going back to what Kat was saying earlier. Um, there's almost like, like C.S. Lewis's, uh, you know, surprising, you know, surprising versus surprisingness to it. Like, I, I don't know, not having rewatched it, like how much of the like reveals are actually, actually have the surprisingness factor of like, does it work the second time through? Um, or is it just kind of like, you know, oh, you know, there's some cool or interesting or at least notable <laughs> reveals that happen. But like, if you know them going to watching the second time. So I guess I, I'd, I'd look to those of you who have seen it more than once, you know, what was your thought about 
you know, do, do the do the reveals work as well the second time through, or or is it kind of like a one shot, you know, thing? I saw it three times. Okay. Is my question clear though too? Like, because I feel like I rambled a little bit. So let me know if like you're like Curtis. What the heck are you talking about? So just just to just to clarify, then you you're you're asking like, are the the big reveal reveals in the film like the the video at the end? Um, or yeah, like that Rafe is alive. Do they work as yeah, well? Does, or does yeah, like does knowing that Rafe is alive work as well? Like when in the beginning they're talking, you know, they're seeing like his image you know on all the walls and everyone thinks he's dead and and or just even knowing that like bill is like constructing this plot or or maybe not constructing at this point um you know kind of working through this plot that is sort of set in motion already um those types of things yeah does it work like does knowing that in advance because so um to clarify my C.S. Lewis comment too I just sort of assume everyone knows this at Mythgard but maybe not in an experiment in criticism, he sort of talks about the difference between a surprise, you know, you know, like a plot twist or something like that, versus the idea of surprisingness that even though you know it's coming, you know, because you've read the story before or whatever, like it still works within the context of the story in the way that maybe it's revealed to the characters or even as it's revealed to the reader, it still kind of works as something that evokes a sense of surprise, even though you kind of already knew it was coming. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, right. I it's think kind for of me, like the value of like the rereading and everything, like yeah. like surprisingness retains its quality of surprise, even though it's not a surprise to you, the repeat viewer. Right. Um, I think for me, like you know, I, I saw the film three times. Um, I, you know, of course, definitely surprised um, at the end first time. Um, second time, it, it made the film more interesting to me to watch, to try to see how Bill was functioning in his role um, as the inside man. Um, and also knowing more about Jane Doe and thinking um, through, you know, her sacrificing herself in that way, like, um, I mean, literally giving her body for the cause <laughs> um, the, uh, in her role as a prostitute, like versus, you know, her vocation was a teacher. Like, like all of that was just, it was very emotionally impactful for me. Um, and then like, again, with Bill just watching not only his actions, but like what he says and the reason he chooses to do certain things that appear villainous. Um, in, in some way, um, I think was, if, for me at least, it worked. Um, and again, that's me getting um, wrapped up in like the, um, the emotions that the film is trying to evoke um, of courage and hope and resistance. Um, those, those things, at least for me, are very powerful um, on a personal level because I'm, I'm a Gryffindor, I wanna be brave. Um, so, uh, if that makes sense. Sure. For me on a rewatch, I would say that the plot made more sense because it was easier to follow since I knew it was going to happen. Um, I 100% I think Ashley nails it in the case of Bill and, and Jane for me as well. Like their, um, 
the poignancy of kind of their situations, uh, I think hits you a lot better on the rewatch um, because you can pick up on a lot more nuance than you can the first time around. Um, the the emotional and the ambiance didn't hit me in the same way as it did in the first first rewatch. Uh, I totally agree with Ashley and and uh, valuing that. I think I think this is one thing that the film does well, and um, through my, it does it so well. In fact, that in my first watch, I found following the the specifics of the plot, by by which I mean like the the suicide scheme, really difficult to follow because I did have this kind of vis visceral and emotional reaction to to much of the film, um, which I was able to set aside in the rewatch and focus more on the specifics. And so um, I think it it is a film that it's worth rewatching for that reason. Uh, Cause you can get very different things. At least I did on the rewatches. Yeah, I could see, I, I only was able to see it once, but um, I could see that with the Bill and Jane Doe relationship. I mean, I kind of maybe wish we'd gotten more of her anyway, but um, mm -hmm. I, I, the first time kind of trying to figure out, like, as I said, kind of wondering what what was going on with Bill. I didn't know what it would be, but having a sense of, okay, there's something else here. I kind of definitely the first time through had the sense that not necessarily knowing that they were in cahoots, I still felt that there was something genuine there with, at least on Bill's part, you had the sense of like, now he could be totally deluded, but at least for him, there's something, there's a real connection, you know, which is like, I think kind of a, a trope of the, you know, hooker with the heart of gold thing of like, like really she, you know, she may do what she does with everybody, but she and I have something special, you know, that like, sure. so trying to kind of figure out what is Bill's connection and feeling with that and how far does he take that and how seriously does he take that for himself? So I can totally see how rewatching it, you bringing the knowledge that they are um, totally in sync with each other and in on the plan and they're the masterminds behind the plan. Um, I can totally see how that would add a different layer of poignancy to the fact that they know their time is, is coming short at the end there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and kind of what made me think about that is one of the early reviews that I read um, after I saw it, uh, I don't remember exactly how they put it, you know, talked about how the movie almost begs to be a cult classic rather than, you know, a successful theater classic, partly because of that rewatch value. Um, and, and not even value, but almost necessity of needing to rewatch it. And so um, it was not a commercial hit, as we all now know. Um, in fact, I mean, it made significantly less <laughs> than even the production budget, not not including the marketing budget, um, according to uh, you know the trusty box office mojo website. Um, and you know the reviews were mixed, um, but you know I think I, I wonder if like in five or even 10 years, if we're going to be talking about this, like we talk about Blade Runner or something that also didn't, you know, do as well as it could or should have been, you know, done in the theaters and that kind of thing. Right. And I, I mean, for, for a movie that kind of is designed to not be 
totally understandable on the first viewing. Um, now, I think, again, we can quibble as to how successful it is in achieving that, but that's the sort of design. I can see what what they kind of mean by this. It's, it's not shooting for a kind of box office success. It's shooting for word of mouth and something that, you know, maybe gets passed along because your friend saw it and said it was interesting and, and takes on a kind of life of its own, um, which, you know, time will only tell whether or not um, that happens. I doubt it, I have to be honest, but hey, you know, prediction is a dangerous business. So um, we'll see. Um, sure. If I was a betting man, I'd agree with Kat. Um, I think it, it's worth a rewatch. I don't think it's going to be quite the cult classic level of rewatch. Uh, and I think that's because I don't think the political message is coherent enough and applicable enough um, to our time. I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love somebody to explain in a way that, that makes sense to me um, what the what the message is that they're really trying to convey in a way that I could buy into it. But for me anyways, uh, that's what stops this from elevating. Cause there's so many other things that, that are worth, um, um, you know, worth appreciating in the film that the fact that for me anyways, it doesn't have that piece. Uh, it's a really important piece for this film. So to, to miss that note, I think is, is a deal breaker for me, but it was worth at least the second watch. Um, another thing which I hadn't really realized until I, I read this um, in in the Variety piece today, um, which I think is worth mentioning, is there does seem to have been some studio sabotage um, in terms of this film's success, that they um, pulled their critic screenings um, without explanation mm -hmm. um, before the open. And as Curtis Because they thought it would do said, bad? Well, well, you know, I mean... No, that, that's not fair, though, because plenty of things that go on to achieve that cult status were killed in the cradle. You know, Firefly sure. being a, a, a <laughs> you know, a, a beloved example. I mean, maybe they thought it wasn't good. Maybe they thought it might have been good, but they knew it would get panned or that nobody would see it. I mean, or they thought they knew. Who knows? You know, that's we can only speculate as to the reasons. But, um, you know, and I think. It doesn't prove one. There's plenty of things that probably have been sabotaged and, you know, weren't that great either. I don't think that proves anything either way. Um, but anyway, they did kind of cancel these critic screenings. And as Curtis kind of noted, it, it, you know, unless you're in an area, blessed in an area where there's like a ton of movie theaters, chances are that this one maybe either didn't make it to you or didn't stay very long. So, um, you know, we have to take into account some of those practical factors when we kind of look at something's success too. Sorry, I'm just realizing I'm looking at this and I realize I forgot to change the title to this slide. And so we have, <laughs> I had copied and pasted this from our predestination discussion of Ethan Hawke saying, I had a lot of fun trying to figure it out. It because I feel like the quote kind of still stands. Maybe wrote a review of Captain State, and he's like, you know what? I had a lot of fun trying to figure it out. Um, 
that's just poor <laughs> editing on my part, but it it, it kind of works because I think uh, we've had a lot of fun trying to figure it out. I don't I don't necessarily want to end early if we don't have to, but I feel like um, unless there's anything more to say, maybe we'll just go one more time around and and any final thoughts uh, on where we're at. I think we've all sort of. I mean, I, I'm willing to wait and see if it becomes cult classic or not. I kind of agree with Cat and Dave though that it seems unlikely and would have to be, unless there's a super secret plot to make it, you know, become cult status at some point, I don't think it's going to reach it there. Um, but who knows, maybe there'll be a spark that will ignite that fire. Um, <laughs> so yeah, final final thoughts on, on the film. We'll start with Dave. Final thoughts, flawed, but I will all, I'm will. i always up for a, a John Goodman film. The man is a brilliant actor. Truth. Ashley. Um, Ashley, go ahead. Um, so um, I have a reputation among my friends of being the friend. I will watch anything. Um, I don't care what it is most of the time. I'm, I'm probably also going to watch it. Um, and in, in the past maybe seven or eight years I've I've kind of sat down and I've given myself like a science fiction film education just because I had a lot of gaps in um you know I still have a, a, a good many many gaps in my um genre film knowledge um Starship Troopers being one of them but uh <laughs> yeah I know Kathy, that one's yeah. okay that, yeah. that's an okay gap to have okay all right all right but um, one of the things I, I enjoyed about Captive State is I felt like it was very knowledgeable of the genre and I feel like it sits well. I'm gonna lean a little more positive on the cult film status as somebody who enjoys watching lots of ridiculous cult film. Um, but I, I, think it, I think it's a little better than that though. Um, I, think it, I think it definitely has potential maybe if some marketing had been different or, um, other things have been a little different, like within the film. Um, I think overall, it's it's still really good, and and even with the, um, uh, I, I think one of the things that you guys saw in our notes, um, me trying to figure stuff out. Like, oh, this reminds me of blah 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 and blah 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 and blah blah blah. And I had mm -hmm. twenty other like films and television shows that it made me think of. Sure. Um, and so for that, at least for me, that that holds a lot of rewatch value. Mm -hmm. I'll watch it again. And I like John Goodman too. He's a good guy. Yeah. Um, I will say that I agree that there are very strong aspects. Um and you know, the performances and and some of the 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 setting and the tone and the kind of staging of it and everything. Um as a whole, I don't think it all holds together. I think it kind of tried to be all things to all people. Um, I wish it had kind of committed, you know, if it was going to go for the gritty realism, then it, it might have done its homework a little bit more. And if it was going to go for the, the ridiculous cult classic, then I don't think it was ridiculous enough. Like, I think it kind of tried to split the difference in a few too many directions. So um, I think that'll I, you know, kind of feel like that holds it back from being um, too much of anything for me. Um, so I, I wish I, 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 I wish I emotionally felt 
more strongly about it in either direction, either as a very enjoyable kind of cult piece or as something very emotionally kind of deep and, and intellectual. Um, but for me, it kind of falls in that middle ground. So, um, I mean, it's certainly worth a good watch. And I think Ashley's right that it um, does a good job of kind of being part of its tradition and kind of pointing you towards other things and maybe being in conversation with other movies and, and stories and stuff. So I think if for that, if nothing else, it's worth watching as a kind of, you know, what does this kind of movie look like at this point in time and how is it responding to other things? Sure, sure. Yeah, and so for my own part, I guess, I do plan to watch it again at some point. Um, I was not able to see it more than once, um, just because I do want it. I, I am kind of curious as to how well it holds up knowing what you know after the first watch. Um, but yeah, I you know, strong acting, I thought. Um, we didn't actually, we, I know we didn't talk a ton about like the actual, you know, cinematography and some of the, the techniques used. I thought, I, I don't know what that quote was about like poor editing. I actually thought editing and, and like some of the, the, you know, photography direction and that kind of stuff was actually really good. So um, those aspects I thought were great. Um, acting was great. Uh, you know, there's worse films that, you know, look better. So, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see, I guess in the long run, but um, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you all for joining us tonight and thank you for our stalwart attendees. Um, we will be back again, uh, remember in the, at the end of May with Camelot. So um, that one will maybe be more fun. I've actually never seen it. So I don't know if that one's, at, hopefully it'll at least have a little more humor uh, than this movie does. Um, but yeah, we'll, we're looking forward to that one. It'll be a very different conversation. It'll be our first musical. Uh, and uh, which Cat is song, super excited about. Um, I'm less so, but I'll power through. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. <laughs>